are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to this hump day edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, and we're going to talk about running back Aaron Jones and the Miami Dolphins for the entirety of today's show. Because I think this is an important hypothetical for us as Dolphins fans to explore, talk about, get our heads around. Because a report came out yesterday from the Miami Herald's Barry Jackson that there is mutual interest between the Miami Dolphins and Aaron Jones, free agent running back to B of the Green Bay Packers. And I can hear the collective groans already from so many. Don't waste free agent dollars on a running back. It's this replaceable position, et cetera, et cetera. You had Miles Gaskin, who you hit in the seventh round on, and he had almost 1,000 yards from scrimmage. You spent on free agency last year on Jordan Howard, and it was a complete flop. You just paid him $5 million per season over two years. Why would you be back in the free agent market yet again this offseason? I get it. I get it. But let's start with the report from Barry Jackson and go from there. Green Bay Pro Bowl running back Aaron Jones, who made the Pro Bowl this season, has the Dolphins among teams he's willing to consider, and the interest is mutual, according to a league source, Barry Jackson, the Herald, wrote yesterday. Aaron Jones, uh, for what it's worth, over the course of the last two seasons, is one of the NFL's most productive running backs. He had 1,558 yards from scrimmage and 19 touchdowns in 16 games in 2019. And in 2020, had 1,459 yards from scrimmage and 11 touchdowns in 14 games. He averaged 5.5 yards per carry this past season. Really good production. You're talking 30 touchdowns. You're talking over 3,000 yards from scrimmage in his last 30 games. He's given you over 100 yards and a touchdown per game every single game for the last two years. Compare and contrast that to what the Dolphins give you. Yeah, I can see why the Dolphins are at least interested. Uh, Jones, who just turned 26, like at the beginning of this month, uh, is projected by Spot Track to command $14.5 million per season on his new deal. And that is uh, when you take into account the free agent market, some of the other free agent contracts or running back contracts that have been given out in recent years. And that includes Christian McCaffrey, who got just short of $16.5 million, I believe it was. Ezekiel Elliott got five years or six years, $90 million. Alvin Kamara got five years, $75 million. Dalvin Cook got 12.6 over five years, five years, $63 million. These contracts have all been given out recently to these running backs. And Aaron Jones is among that caliber of backs. So I understand why the spot track forecast sits at 14 and a half and I also understand why many Dolphins fans upon hearing 14 and a half million dollars are going to shark tank this and give it the old Mark Cuban for that reason I'm out 
right? And I'm out too. If the price tag is $14.5 million, I don't care how productive he's been because he played on a Green Bay offense that has one of the best quarterbacks in the game, the 2020 MVP. And there's no question that offense is better than what the Dolphins can currently offer. So there's going to inevitably be a drop-off. But let me ask you this. If the price wasn't 14.5, where's the price that you're interested? And we'll kind of go through that journey here throughout the course of today's show. But not before I kind of go through why I'm not surprised that this news is out pertaining to the Miami Dolphins and Aaron Jones. And it goes back to last offseason and what the Dolphins were reportedly interested in pursuing then, which was Melvin Gordon III from the Los Angeles Chargers. The Dolphins, according to ESPN's Cameron Wolf, last March were targeting Gordon, quote, at the right price. They never found the right price with Gordon. He signed a two-year, $16 million contract with the Broncos and went on to this year to rush for 986 yards and nine touchdowns. But he was so closely tied to the Dolphins that even another former Chargers running back, LT, LaDainian Tomlinson, uh, straight up predicted that he was going to end up in Miami. So you take their interest in Gordon, quote-unquote, at the right price. And then you look at the way that the season played out. You take into consideration that Eric Studsville and George Gotze are going to co-offensive coordinate this team. So it's a continuation without Shane Gailey at the top. It's a continuation of a lot of the same ideologies. You know who led the Dolphins in touches? In 2020, don't look. You know who led the team in touches? Miles Gaskin. You know how many games he played in? 10. You know how many touches he had? 183. So he averaged 18.3 touches from scrimmage per game. Let me ask you this. Who is the next closest player for the Dolphins in touches this season? Savan Ahmed with 86 he was 97 touches behind a player in Miles Gaskin who only played in 10 games this year. You know who was third behind Savan Ahmed? Matt Breida was 68. The Dolphins' top three touchers of the football this season in 2020 were all running backs. You had all three of those guys up together, and the Dolphins' running backs had major fingerprints all over this offense. So you take their interest in Melvin Gordon, you look at where they ran their volume of the offense in 2020, and yes, I will be more than willing to concede with better pass catchers on the roster, that ratio will probably decrease. But Miles Gaskin also led the team in yards from scrimmage by nearly 200 yards over the next best option, which was Devontae Parker. Gaskin had 972 yards from scrimmage in 10 games. Devontae Parker, who played in 14, had 793. He was the next best yards from scrimmage player on the team. Played in four extra games. And that's a player in Miles Gaskin, who was a 2019 seventh-round pick. And I understand that Aaron Jones was a fifth-round pick. I get it. 
But think about how much the Dolphins were willing to give to a group of players that had a free agent flop in Jordan Howard, a career rotational back in Matt Breida, a 2020 UDFA in Savan Ahmed, a 2019 UDFA in Patrick Laird, and a seventh-round pick in Miles Gaskin. You have the potential, hear me out, to add a top five to, to eight running back in the NFL into that role instead of a bunch of fringe draftable players. Sounds like a pretty good proposition. So I can understand why the Dolphins have this interest in the here and now with Aaron Jones in the same way they had the interest with Melvin Gordon. The NFL season may be over, but you can still get a ton of sports betting action thanks to our friends at Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine along the way. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, is the best way to place your bets, plus, it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, promo code locked on. But there's another reason why I can see the Dolphins being interested in conducting their business this way. And it comes back to how the team to this point in time under Chris Greer and Brian Flores has chose to invest their premium NFL draft capital and take advantage of cheap contracts. Think about the past two years of NFL drafts. Obviously, the Dolphins had a much busier NFL draft in 2020 than they did in 2019 uh, when they were kind of just setting the table and getting things started. The Dolphins have made eight selections in the top 100 over the last two years, plus a trade of a second-round pick. And with those eight selections plus a trade, the Dolphins have invested their top 100 selections in two quarterbacks, three offensive linemen, two defensive linemen, and two players in the secondary. Quarterbacks Josh Rosen and Tua Tagovailoa. Three offensive linemen, Michael Dieter, third round 2019, Austin Jackson, first round 2020, Robert Hunt, top 40, second round 2020. Two defensive linemen, Christian Wilkins, first round 2019, Raekwon Davis, second round 2020. Two players in the secondary, Noah Benogany, first round 2020, Brandon Jones, third round 2020. The Dolphins, through the first two seasons, have invested their early draft capital on high-value positions. So they're using their premium picks on premium positions that when you hit on those players, you pay an arm and a leg and a kidney and a molar and a couple wisdom teeth and a couple of fingers for. Maybe even an eyeball. You pay through the nose for a top-flight left tackle. Just gas the Houston Texans. Two first-round picks and $20 million per for Laramie Tunsil. So the Dolphins investing 
their draft capital on positions that in order to get quality starters, if you were to buy those players, you have to buy them by paying significant amounts of money. Just like what happened with Byron Jones. Take that as a great example. Just look at the contract they gave Eric Flowers. You can get a top eight running back in the NFL for approximately the same amount of money that it's going to cost you to sign Eric Flowers to play on your offensive line. That's all the evidence you need from an economic standpoint for why the Dolphins invest their premium draft capital in premium positions. And you know what's not a premium position? Running back. So there's a part of me, obviously, that everybody's on board with Najee Harris at 18. It feels like a no-brainer, and maybe it is, and maybe it happens. But if it happens, it would be a break in the trends of how the team, through the first two years, has invested their premium draft picks. So that's why I'm not surprised to hear that this team has interest in a version of Miles Gaskin, who has performed at an elite level over the course of the last two, three seasons in the NFL. Not surprised. Because you can pay him top dollar and it's middle-of-the-road money for one of these other premium positions. Because the Dolphins' offense runs through the running backs so much, and I expect it will continue to do so, even if it's to a lesser degree than what it did in 2020 as the wide receivers get better. And because the Dolphins were interested in kicking the tires on making this happen in 2020 with Melvin Gordon. Am I crazy about the idea? No. But as I look at the Dolphins' trends, I get it. I understand why. And where they can go from here, there's three different paths. The Dolphins can get cold feet. They can say, no, never mind. We're going to take Najee Harris at 18. Or no, we're going to bank on getting Javante Williams from North Carolina at 36. And they're going to put all their eggs in a rookie basket with an unproven player. Which also doesn't feel like a pathway that this team would take. And I could totally see this team signing Aaron Jones and then drafting Trey Sermon uh, in the early fourth round if he's there from Ohio State. Could still see them bringing back another dense runner for between the tackles. The Dolphins can approach this the same way in which they approached the Melvin Gordon situation, which was, we're going to name our price. We know what we think you're worth. And if you want to take it and you want to come play for this football team, we are going to love to have you. But we're not going to break the bank. We're not going to get into, for lack of better phrasing, a pissing contest with other teams in free agency to try and give you the most amount of money. Or, alternatively, the Dolphins can take the same approach they took with Byron Jones, which was, we're not taking no for an answer. I'm on board with the middle approach the most a tempered approach in which the Dolphins name their price. For me, I want to give Aaron Jones money that pegs him as the eighth highest paid running back in the NFL. Right now, there is a void of $4 million from RB7 to RB8 in annual average salary. Cincinnati's Joe Mixon is currently number seven. He averages $12 million per year. 
Number eight is Melvin Gordon, who signed with Denver for $8 million a year on a two-year deal. So you see a 50% price jump to get into the top seven running backs in annual average salary. So if I'm going to approach Aaron Jones and I want to get an upgrade at a position that I know my, my offense is going to see a very high-volume work through, let's bridge that gap. You want to go 10? You want to go 11? I'm willing to sign that deal because I think he will have a big enough impact on this roster to make it worth it with one exception. And it falls into how I can st- how I personally can still be okay if the Dolphins don't take no for an answer. And it comes back to something we've talked about on the show before. And it's a lesson that the Dolphins seemingly have learned versus years past. It's not spending money that will kill you. It's bad contract structure that will break your back against the salary cap. Mike Tannenbaum gave Rashad Jones and Ryan Tannehill big-time contracts, and he restructured both of those things within the first 12 months of the ink drawing. And all that did was defer a bunch of guaranteed money down the road, kick the can down the road, exponentially increasing your cap hits for future years. And you know who had to pay the piper with it? It wasn't Mike Tannenbaum because he was out. It was Chris Greer and Brian Flores. Because they had to flush the turds on the Dolphin salary cap down the toilet. And they ate a ton of dead cap to just get that guaranteed money off the books because all they did for years was backload contracts with a lot of money and then restructure them when it came time for the first big cap hit to clear room to add another marginal veteran player to the roster. You can't do that. You can't play the game that way. Period. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for your classic or daily driver and looking for engine control modules, brake parts, taillight, motor oil, you name it, you can get anything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog and in just a few clicks get everything you need delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices are the same at RockAuto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So how can the Dolphins get away with this? If they want to take a we're not saying no approach, we want to give you top five money at the position. What that becomes is effectively, you know, you can sign into a five-year deal all you want. Dalvin Cook signed five years, 63. Alvin Kamara signed five years, 75. But both of those contracts were structured in the right way. Let's look at Dalvin Cook's contract as an example. He's averaging 12.6 annual average salary per season, the fifth highest total in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, and David Johnson. 
Minnesota signed him to an extension in the last year of his rookie deal. So you take the last year of his rookie deal and you take two new years of play. So 2020, 2021, 2022. So after 2022, two new years of this five-year contract, the Vikings could cut Dalvin Cook with just a $6.2 million dead cap hit. And if you cut him after June 1st, you can split that $6.2 million in half, and half of it goes to 2022, and the other half is deferred to 2023. For a five-year, $63 million extension to get two new years of a contract and walk with $6.2 million in dead cap, that's structuring a contract the right way. That's an example that the Dolphins can look to. Alvin Kamara has $6 million after two new years of his contract. That is an example of structuring the money the right way so that you can spend big, and if it flops, you can get out. It's what the Dolphins did with Xavier Howard as an example. I'll remind you of some of the terms of this deal. They signed him to a, a then record-setting contract for corners, five years, $75 million. And that was signed entering into the last year of his rookie contract. The Dolphins got one year of new play from him. 2019 was going to be his final year of his rookie deal. He played 2019, the last year of his rookie deal. He played 2020, the first year of his rookie deal. And starting in one month's time, the Dolphins could cut Xavier Howard on, what's today, the 24th? They could cut him on March 24th, and their dead cap for a five-year, $75 million contract is $6.7 million. If you wait and cut him after June 1st, and the Dolphins would never do that, But if you cut him after June 1st, your dead cap would be 3.9 and you would defer $2.8 million in dead cap for 2022. That's structuring a contract the right way. You want another example? How about Kyle Van Noy? Van Noy signed a four-year $51 million contract with a $12 million signing bonus, $30 million in guarantees, and an annual average salary of $12.75 million. You know what his dead cap is if the Dolphins woke up a month from now and decided they wanted to cut him on a four-year $51 million contract with $30 million in guarantees? His dead cap is $4.125 million. The Dolphins, they get it, guys. They get how to structure these deals. So if you want to play that game, if you want to sign Aaron Jones, and you won't take no for an answer, at the very least, you can take peace of mind knowing that the Dolphins have changed how they're structuring contracts to ensure they are not boxed in four years from now. They're not going to be eating a ton of dead cap. They're not going to have to restructure these deals. And I know that's a proposition that everybody's proposing now 
oh, why don't the Dolphins restructure Kyle Van Noy and convert his 12.5 base salary to veterans minimum and the rest of it to a signing bonus that you can defer and milk that out throughout the rest of the three years of the contract? Because I'm not interested in adding $4 million in guaranteed money that's been deferred into three years from now. Even Byron Jones... Byron Jones signed a five-year, $82.5 million contract. It was then CB1 money last year in free agency. He'll play two more years on this deal, and then the Dolphins can get out of it after 2022, after three years of play, with $4.2 million in dead cap. So again, they're not playing this game. Now, of course, that would change if you took Byron Jones and you restructured his contract, gave him the Tannenbaum special, and gave him veterans minimum, which is just short of a million dollars. Okay, you can take $13 million and prorate that over four years. And you could save that money against the cap. So to bring this thing back to Aaron Jones, if the Dolphins want to play persistent, uh, Aaron Jones and his impact based on the Dolphins' usage of backs in 2020 with the same coaches in the picture that are going to be running the offense this year. Maybe it's not the same impact from a volume perspective, but it is still a significant role. And as much as I like Miles Gaskin for being a fun, scrappy football player, Aaron Jones is a massive upgrade at that position for the Dolphins. So I expect that the Dolphins will have some degree of a tempered approach. They're not going to be afraid to spend. And they've shown, based on this new regime, that they understand the value of long-term flexibility. Again, that's why I said at the beginning of the offseason, the name of the game is flexibility. How can you remain as flexible as possible to pivot on a moment's notice when you need to make a dramatic change to the roster. This is not the same Dolphins team that got snookered in years past. Remember, even going back to 2019, they walked away from the negotiation table with Trey Flowers, the New England Patriots defensive end, because Detroit was willing to give him uh, five years, $90 million. Okay, good luck. Godspeed. So if I'm Miami... And I want to stay true to my draft ideologies, which, based on the two-year sample size that we have, is we want to prioritize premier positions early in the draft. And maybe they'll make an exemption for wide receiver early because they feel Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle with a trade back or whatever is a blue-chip player for this team. But then again, maybe they go Penny Sewell at three and continue the trend. You don't know. Right? You don't know. I would expect one of these first-round picks will be an offensive weapon. But let's say they want to, as best as they can, continue that trend. Then having a price that you're willing to pay for a back is going to preserve your ability to not draft a running back with an early top 50 pick. And if I'm Miami... My price for Jones is I'm trying to get him to sit as close to 10 mil 
as I can. I don't want to disrespect him with my offer. I'm going to give him top eight money. But I'm also going to remind him that we are in the midst of a pandemic that has dramatically impacted the NFL salary cap. And as a result, uh, we feel like you're not going to get many offers competitive with what we can spend. And I'm okay with spending that much money if it does open the door for the Dolphins to all of a sudden feel comfortable. And maybe they go out and they get uh, Jamar Chase at three and then they trade up for Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. You're not going to be excited about that wide receiver room and Aaron Jones in the backfield now? It opens up more flexibilities to make more high-impact plays with your early draft capital if you're not going to be using a top 40 pick on a running back. And that's the appeal that I can get behind, and that's the price for me, $10 million per, that I'm personally comfortable with spending. And if you spend that, then I'm not spending the 10 to 12 I need to sign Curtis Samuel. I understand the NFL draft process. I'm going to try and get a guy for closer to six to eight million per, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a guy in the first round and maybe two guys in the top 50 at the wide receiver position. But I know in the worst case scenario, I'm going to keep my backs involved in the passing game to the same degree in which they were involved in 2020. And that might not be the sexiest way to play football. And I understand everybody wants to air it out and push the ball down the field and throw bombs left and right. We got to get a feel for what this offense looks like. And if they are going to carry the same ideologies from 2020, Aaron Jones is a player who could make some sense at the right price. I would just encourage the Dolphins to be firm on your price, not go crazy. And then when it comes time to negotiate the fine details, Let's spread that guaranteed money out in a responsible way so that if you need to get out of that contract after year two, you're capable of doing so. And if that's, you know, and if he plays to, the, to his potential and plays to what he produced in Green Bay, then he's going to be well worth the money. It's kind of where I stand on Aaron Jones. I know it's going to be a polarizing topic. I'm sure a lot of you are not a fan of paying him at all, but the Dolphins have to pay somebody to upgrade this offense. And I'm not overly interested in paying Juju Smith-Schuster, and it seems like Chris Godwin's going to get the franchise tag, and I'm not crazy about paying Allen Robinson $20 million per season. So let's find some players that we can pay a reasonable amount of money for who are going to make a high impact, and I think Aaron Jones can be that kind of player. I'm Kyle Krabs. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Locked on Dolphins. Make sure you hit subscribe. We got two more shows this week, Thursday, Friday. Look forward to talking with you guys again tomorrow. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins.